I first read Dallas Willard's The Divine Conspiracy in 2006 when I was an associate pastor at a Presbyterian church in Union, Kentucky. And uh, I got to tell you, it it kind of transformed the way I thought about Christianity. My whole life, uh, I had thought of Christianity as a way to, first and foremost, get me into heaven, and then secondly, uh, get me to act in a certain way, right? It was about the afterlife, and it was about good behavior. Uh, but when I re- read The Divine Conspiracy, it, it changed everything for me. Suddenly, I realized that the Bible wasn't a list of rules. It was more than anything an announcement of what God was doing in the world and an invitation to embrace that which was already true of me, that I was deeply loved by my Creator. Uh, The most memorable part of the Divine Conspiracy was the section on the Beatitudes. I had always thought uh, of the Beatitudes as a list of qualities that I needed to pursue or develop so that I could be blessed. But Willard helped me recognize that nothing could be further from the truth. In the Beatitudes, Jesus was declaring who the kingdom of heaven was for. He was announcing good news that those that the world considers cursed are actually blessed because the kingdom of heaven has come near. Uh, Understanding this was so freeing for me. It's like I was set free from trying to achieve a level of goodness that would increase my level of blessing. Right now, I could sit back and just enjoy the blessing that was already mine because the kingdom of heaven had come near to me in Jesus. It changed my sense of identity as God's beloved. Uh, this sermon, you'll see, was strongly influenced by Dallas Willard's The Divine Conspiracy, and I hope that, like the Beatitudes, you will find it to be a hope-filled declaration of the good news of your own blessedness. I'm Marcus Watson, and this is Episode 14 of Spiritual Life and Leadership. We're going to talk about the good life. Uh, now, think of it more in terms of, as we start, in, in terms of... Uh, you know, in our culture, in our world, what do we think of as the good life? You know, the good life. Um, probably, you know, you, there's some people maybe who come to mind, oh, that person has the good life, or people in that neighborhood, right, they're living the good life. Now, there's also the opposite of the good life. You know, we might call that not the good life. Uh, if you think of someone like uh, George Clooney, right, you know, George Clooney is a super movie star, right, got lots of money. Is he living the good life? Yes, right? This is a guy who we would say is living the good life. But if you look at someone who's homeless on the street, are, are they living the good life? No, right? Uh, if someone, um, you know, is healthy and fit and, um, and everything looks like things are going well for them, we'd say, oh, they're living the good life, right? Uh, someone who's sick, right? Uh, maybe terminally, maybe, uh, or maybe just has a condition that is lifelong, we would say, oh, that's not the good life, right? So we kind of have these uh, ideas in our minds of what's the good life, what's not the good life. And the question that I want to take a look at today is what does Jesus say is the good life? And so we're going to take a look today at a passage uh, that probably many of you are familiar with, uh, 
uh, traditionally referred to as the Beatitudes. Um, it's the very first part of the Sermon on the Mount. And uh, so we're going to read that in just a moment. But before we do, um, I, I want to clarify something about the word Beatitude. Now, the word Beatitude sounds a lot like another word. What word does it sound like? Beatitude. There you go. Not, yeah, not a trick question. Um, oh, let's fix that. Um, so it uh, sounds a lot like the word attitude. Um, However, the word beatitude and attitude are completely unrelated to each other, right? Uh, I don't know where the word attitude comes from, but the word beatitude is related to the the Latin word beatus, which is uh, where we get our word beautiful, right? And so beatitude is more related to the word beautiful than it is to the word attitude, not at all related to the word attitude. Now, the problem is it sounds a lot like attitude, and so... The, words, the word beatitude has been understood as having to do with our attitudes. Maybe some, some of you have heard it said that the beatitudes are the be-attitudes. Have you ever heard that? Anybody ever heard that? Okay. Well, I have. Uh, <laughs> right. right. The be-attitudes. These are the attitudes that you should have. Right. And the way the beatitudes go, the way Jesus says them, there's sort of this uh, formula in the way that he says it. He says, blessed are the, and then he'll mention a certain characteristic or a certain kind of person, and he says, for they, and then he says something good about, you know, about that, or for theirs is, and then something good. So blessed are the something, for theirs is the. And so we read this and we say, oh, here is a list of rules or instructions on the kinds of attitudes I should have or the way I should be in order to be blessed, right? Nothing could be further from the truth. The Beatitudes are not a list of instructions. They are not a list of rules, right? They are a statement on what kind of people are blessed, right? Uh, the kinds of qualities that, uh, that are surprisingly, wow, also included in the blessing of God. So that gives you a little bit of background just on the word beatitude, and we're going to unpack that a little bit more throughout the sermon. But let me go ahead and read to you now um, the beatitudes. This is Matthew 5, verses 1 through 12. 1 through, yep, 12. All right, now, when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. Right? It's the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. His disciples came to him, and he began to teach them. He said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Okay, now let's kind of put this into context. Where... 
where does this take place in the life of Jesus, first of all? So this is Matthew chapter 5, Matthew's 28 chapters. So this is still pretty early in the life of Jesus, right? So far, Jesus has been born. He grew up. Uh, he was baptized. We talked a little bit about that last week. Uh, and that's where, you know, the Father, Heavenly, the, fa- the Father spoke these words, you know, this is my beloved Son, uh, in whom I am ple- well pleased, and the Holy Spirit came down on him. So this declaration of who Jesus is, this is my Son, right? And it's an encouragement almost to Jesus. Jesus says, oh, good, yes, this is who I am, right? And then immediately he's led into the wilderness where he's tested and tried. And it's like his identity, because he was able to surrender to God, Right, fall back on that which he trusted, God and the word of God, he was able to um, uh, establish, so to speak, in himself, become confident and firm in who he was and his calling as the Son of God. And then immediately after that, we're led into it, we read next, uh, that Jesus begins to preach. Right? And here's what he preaches. Uh, Matthew 4, verse 17. From that time on, Jesus began to preach, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. Okay, this is important. So what I'm doing is I'm helping us understand why the Beatitudes matter or what they're trying to say to us. So this this was the core of Jesus' message. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. Uh, now, two things I want to focus on in this. So the word repent... Uh, probably has, you know, we could say it has a lot of baggage with it. You know, yes, the, the average person, when you hear the word repent, what do you think of? A lot of folks might say, well, I think of kind of a fire and brimstone preacher who says, repent, you gotta, you know, turn back to Jesus, blah, 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 right? Kind of in your face. I remember this guy when I was in college, and uh, he would uh, walk on, into campus every so often, and he would always carry a red milk crate. He'd carry it alongside him. He'd set up the milk crate right in front of the library, and he'd stand up on the milk crate, and then he'd start yelling at kids, yelling at the students, calling all the guys whoremongers and all the girls sluts, and you all need to repent, right? Or you're going to burn in hell. <sighs> One day, this was kind of fun, I looked out the window, and I didn't see that guy standing on a milk crate. I saw my friend Rich standing on the milk crate. I was like, whoa, what, what is going on here? <laughs> my friend Rich is, uh, is a Christian. And uh, I went outside, and he was preaching to all the students. <laughs> what I found out later is that he got so fed up with this guy. He's like, everybody who wants to listen to him, listen to him. Everybody wants to listen to me. Come over here. You know? And so, so uh, all these kids followed him. And then he started saying, this is who Jesus really is. God loves you, you know? And, um, and then they kind of, he and the other guy came to, uh, an agreement. Okay. We'll take turns. So the, the other guy would say something to the kids. And then my friend Rich would say something to all the students. And anyway. Uh, kind of cool. <laughs> it was funny. Right? But th- that word repent, right, um, has kind of that connotation. Now, what does repent really mean? Right? Repent comes from the Greek word metanoia, which simply means to turn around. Right? And it's kind of a mental turning around. Turn around. Change your mind. Change the way you think. Don't see the world this way anymore. See the world this way. Don't think this way anymore. Think this way. That's what repent means. Um, uh, and so it's not just, you know, and it's a, it's a big change of mind. It's not just like, well, my favorite color used to be blue and now it's green. Or I used to, you know, really like spaghetti, but now I really like pizza, right? It's like, I used to be a socialist, but now I'm a capitalist. You know, it's, it's a huge shifting of one's mindset in terms of how one sees the world. Um, now, why? Why repent? Jesus says, repent 
For the kingdom of heaven has come near. Why can we change the way we think? Because the kingdom of heaven has come near. Now, this expression, kingdom of heaven, also uh, tends to get misunderstood. Jesus is not talking about the afterlife, right? When he says kingdom of heaven, Jesus is not talking about the end of the world. The kingdom of heaven refers to that reality in which God's will is done, right? Everybody's got a little kingdom. You've got a little kingdom. It's that realm of reality where your will is done, right? Where what you want to do gets accomplished. Now, our kingdoms tend to be very small. You know, the rich and the powerful, their kingdoms are are bigger. Nations' kingdoms are bigger, right? Everybody's got their little kingdom. And it's that realm in which our will is done. So the kingdom of God is that reality, that realm of reality in which God's will is done. Why has the kingdom of heaven come near? It's because Jesus came into the world. He says, change the way you think. Why? Because the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, that realm of reality where God's will is done has now come near. You don't have to think the way you used to think. You can think and see the world and understand your life in a whole new way. You can repent. You can repent and change the way you think. Okay, so this message about the kingdom of heaven was intriguing to people. What do you mean? Right? And, and there's also a whole thing, we won't get into it, but also there's this kind of counter to the kingdom of Rome, right? Rome was the, was the great empire, the great kingdom. And God, uh, Jesus says, no, but now the kingdom, you don't have to think in Roman kingdom kinds of ways. You can think in kingdom of heaven kinds of ways. So there's that going on as well. Um, now, what kinds of people... Uh, started following Jesus, right? Jesus started attracting followers, people saying, all right, I like this. There's something about this Jesus that I like, and I want to see the world in a new way. Who, who is it that's starting to follow Jesus? Uh, in verses 23 and, uh, through 25, let me read this to you. It describes the kind of people who are following Jesus. Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness among the people. News about him spread all over Syria, and people brought to him all who were ill with various diseases, those suffering severe pain, the demon-possessed, those having seizures and the paralyzed, and he healed them. Large crowds from Galilee, the Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, and the region across the Jordan followed him. So what kinds of people started following Jesus? It was people who had every disease and sickness. People who were ill with various diseases. People who were suffering severe pain. People who were demon-possessed. People who were having seizures. People who were paralyzed. These are the kinds of people who started following Jesus. Now let me ask you a question. Do you think these people would have been considered to be at the top of the social ladder or the bottom of the social ladder? bottom of the social ladder. Do you think they would have been considered blessed by God or cursed by God? Cursed by God. Right? No one would have looked at these people and said, oh, God must really love you. Right? People would have looked at them and said, what did you do to make God so mad that he made you so sick, that he caused you to be blind, that he caused you to be paralyzed, that he caused you to be sick? Right? 
What did you do? These were people who thought of themselves as cursed. Right? These were people who thought of themselves as cast out by God. Right? These were people who were cast out by the people in their society. And these were the people who said, I want to I know more about what this Jesus has to say. And so that leads us then into the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. And I'm not going to read the whole Beatitudes again. Um, But immediately following that verse, the last one that I read, we get into, Now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside. Right, All these crowds, all these people who are outcasts, all these people who are sick and diseased and demon-possessed and paralyzed, he saw them and he sat down. It says his disciples came to him and he began to teach them. And just a side note, disciples doesn't refer here to the twelve disciples. At this point, Jesus had only called four of them, uh, Peter, Andrew, James, and John. So the disciples refers basically to all these crowds that were following Jesus, right? All of these, all of these followers. So his disciples, these crowds, came to him, and he began to teach them. Right. So these are the people that the Sermon on the Mount is for. These are the people that the Beatitudes are for when Jesus speaks these. And this is how he begins his his message to them. He says, blessed. That's the first word that he says, blessed. Uh, Now for us, the word bless is kind of a a weak word, I think. You know, it's kind of watered down. We say, oh, I feel so blessed, you know. Um, I got a new car, you know. (laughs) Or, uh, or, uh, you know, or we sneeze and we say, oh, bless you. Right? We don't even say God bless you anymore. We say bless you, right? Um, right? So, so it's not like a very strong word. It's a good word, but it's not a super strong word in, in, our, in our culture. Uh, but for Jesus and for the people he was speaking, the word that he used was an incredibly strong word. It was the word makarios. All right? And the word makarios referred to a kind of well-being that was almost beyond human possibility. Uh, the Greek New Testament, the, uh, so New Testament was written in Greek, doesn't tend to use this word a lot, but we do find this word in other ancient Greek literature. Um, and usually it's in reference to the gods, Right to the to the to the state of being a god. Um, <clears throat> as I was re- researching this, came across some descriptions of this word makarios, right, which we translate as blessed. Uh, and here's some descriptions of what it means. So one resource said that makarios refers to a godlike state of blessedness or happiness. Right? That's what makarios is: a godlike state of blessedness or happiness. Another resource said. That Makarios refers to the state of the gods above the sufferings and labors of humans. Right? Gods don't suffer. Gods don't labor. They're Makarios. They're blessed. Um, another resource said that it's the kind of blissful existence characteristic of the gods. Right? Blissful existence. That's Makarios. That's the kind of blessedness Jesus is talking about. Sometimes this word was used in refer- reference to humans. And uh, this resource said that for human beings, Makarios referred to the highest type of well-being possible, right? The highest type of well-being possible, the good life, right? We would say that the richest and wealthiest and healthiest in the world, they are the Makarios in the world. And they would have said that too. They would have said Caesar is Makarios. The senators in Rome, right? All the wealthy, uh, King Herod, they were the Makarios, And so Jesus starts his message to all these people who are sick and diseased and outcast with the word makarios. What would they have thought to themselves? Maybe they thought, 
wow, what's he going to say? Is he going to talk about me? Or maybe they might have thought, ugh, why is he going to talk about the Makarios? I don't want to hear about them. They're the ones who keep me under their heel, you know? So he starts this message with the word Makarios, blessed. And then he says this, blessed are the poor in spirit. And the people would have thought, what? What? The poor in spirit? Now, we don't really know what poor in spirit means. Right? Again, we, we have a tendency to take the, these uh, beatitudes and turn them into rules. Right? And so sometimes we look at this and we say, okay, in order to be blessed, I guess I have to be poor in spirit. Now, okay, I'm going to be poor in spirit. How do I do that? <laughs> What does that mean to be poor in spirit, right? We turn it into some kind of a virtue without even really knowing what that means. But the people in Jesus' time would have known what that means. The word poor in spirit refers not to a particular virtue or something good or something to be pursued. It referred to a spiritual poverty, right? It referred to a state of existence in which you didn't really understand God, right? A person who was poor in spirit was someone who... Uh, who felt far away from God. Right? Maybe they wanted to feel close to God, but they just didn't. They were poor in spirit. They had a poor spirituality, a poor relationship with God. Right? That's what it meant to be poor in spirit. And, and Jesus says, poor, uh, blessed, makarios are the poor in spirit. Then he says, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Right? There's, there's that expression again, the kingdom of heaven. This is an announcement of the kind of people who belong in the kingdom of heaven. Uh, The kind of people for whom the kingdom of heaven has come. People who are poor in spirit, for instance. Now, that's not to say that people who are rich in spirit aren't blessed too, right? Maybe some of us feel very rich in spirit. We, we have a great relationship with God. We feel close to God. We feel loved by God. And in that sense, we are rich in spirit. We're blessed too, but it's not because we're rich in spirit, as though we've attained some sort of level of spirituality and now we can be blessed, right? We're blessed simply because the kingdom of heaven has come for us too, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. This was revolutionary. Jesus was flipping everything upside down. I love how uh, Dallas Willard puts this in a book called The Divine Conspiracy. Uh, Dallas Willard was a USC philosophy professor. He died several years ago, but uh, also a Christian and just a fantastic thinker and theologian and, and philosopher. And this is how he puts this first verse in kind of his own words. He said, Blessed are the spiritual zeros, the spiritually bankrupt, deprived, and deficient, the spiritual beggars, those without a wisp of religion, when the kingdom of the heavens comes upon them. Right? This is good news. Right? That's what this is. This is not a list of rules or how-tos. This is a declaration of who the kingdom of heaven is for. And it is for the poor in spirit. Now, Jesus goes on. And we'll, we'll, I won't spend as much time on the rest of these. Uh, but he goes on. Um, he says, blessed are those who mourn. Right? And we would say, that's not true. 
People who mourn are not blessed, they're suffering. People who mourn, I mean, they've just experienced some kind of a loss, maybe the loss of a loved one, or maybe a loss of, uh, of health in some way, or maybe a uh, loss of a relationship. People who mourn are not blessed. Jesus says, no, no. Because of the kingdom of heaven, because the kingdom of heaven has come near, those who mourn are blessed. And do you know why? For they will be comforted. That's what happens when the kingdom of heaven comes near. Those who mourn are blessed. They are makarios because they will be comforted. Next one says, blessed are the meek for they will inherit the earth. Uh, Like we say, that's not true. (laughs) The meek don't inherit the earth. The wallflowers, right? Those who sit on the bench, right? Those who kind of hang back while everyone else uh, charges ahead, they're not the ones who inherit the earth. It's the go-getters who inherit the earth. right? It's the ambitious who inherit the earth. And Jesus says, no, because the kingdom of heaven has come, even the meek will inherit the earth. Then he says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Uh, okay, this one sounds like, all right, this sounds like something I can do, right? Hunger and thirst for righteousness. All right, I need to be the kind of person who hungers and thirsts for righteousness. Well, yes, good. Uh, what this refers to, though, is, is the kind of person who doesn't have any righteousness of their own, right? This is a person who keeps going back to the same sin over and over and over again. This, this is the kind of person who just can't get away from their addiction. Right? They want to, but they can't. They hunger and they thirst for righteousness. And they can't seem to get it. But when the kingdom of heaven comes near, even those who hunger and thirst for righteousness are blessed because you know what? They will be filled. They will find that righteousness because the kingdom of heaven has come near. Now, these first four Beatitudes refer uh, kind of to these uh, to these qualities that uh, you would say, you would never say, well, these, these are blessed. These people are blessed. The next three um, uh, are a little bit different because they refer to the kinds of things, the qualities that emerge as we live out the reality of the kingdom of heaven. So Jesus says, blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Right? The more that we live out the reality of the kingdom of heaven and, and understand uh, those that we would never think of as blessed to be blessed, the more we understand that God loves even those that we would think, how could God possibly love them? The more we understand and live out the reality of the kingdom, the more we become per- people who are merciful. Right? So blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. And just as we extend mercy then, as we live out the kingdom of heaven, right, we receive mercy from God and from others. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Right? The more we live out the reality of the kingdom of heaven, the more we become like God, right? Pure in heart. Uh, we, we have a clarity of, of what God wants to do in the world. And the more we become the kind of people, the more this purity in heart emerges in our lives, the more we are able to see God clearly. Blessed are the peacemakers, he says, for they will be called children of God, right? God is the great peacemaker, He sent his son into the world to make peace between us and God, between us and each other, between us and 
ourselves, right? And even between us and the creation, God is the great peacemaker. And the more we live out the reality of the kingdom of heaven, the more we become peacemakers, right? We become children of God. Now, the more that we live out the reality of the kingdom of heaven, uh, the more some will push back on that. What, what, What do you mean the poor in spirit are blessed? That's not true. You have to earn your way. Right? You, have to, you have to prove that you're worth God's love or that you're worth the love of other people. Right? What do you mean the meek will inherit the earth? Well, you, you want us to just you know, uh, take care of them too? You want us to... Right? No, it's the go-getters. How could you possibly say that? What do you mean the merciful are blessed? Stop being so merciful and just get the job done. Right? Um, the world will push back. And when that happens... That can be really hard on us. So Jesus says, Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. The Beatitudes are not a list of instructions. They are a declaration of of who has the good life. And you know who has the good life? It's the poor in spirit. It's those who mourn. It's uh, the merciful. It's the meek. All those that the world would say, that's not the good life. Jesus says, no, because the kingdom of heaven has come. That's the good life. They are makarios. They are makarios. Right? That's the good news for us. Right? Now, I don't always feel that way. I don't always feel like I'm blessed. I certainly don't feel makarios. Right? Uh, sometimes I feel poor in spirit. Sometimes I feel far away from God. Sometimes I feel like I don't know what God is doing right now. Sometimes uh, I mourn. Right? Sometimes I feel down. Uh, sometimes I feel meek. Right? Um, what this tells me is that even when I feel like I'm not blessed, God sees something in me that I don't see in myself. Right? God sees something in me that I don't see in myself. That's the good news. That's the good news of this message here. Um, let me close with this. Uh, well, read this one quote, and then we'll close with one last thought. Um, again, Dallas Willard in The Divine Conspiracy uh, kind of gives his modern rendition of what Jesus might have said to us if he was speaking the Beatitudes to us today. What might Jesus have said? This is how he puts it. Maybe Jesus would have said this. Blessed are the physically repulsive. <laughs> Blessed are those who smell bad. The twisted, misshapen, deformed. The too big, too little, too loud. The bald, the fat, and the old. For they are all riotously celebrated in the party of Jesus. Mm. Isn't that good? (laughs) Now, one last thought. A few chapters later, uh, Jesus sends his disciples out. Right? And he says, I want you to go, and here's the message I want you to proclaim. Uh, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. 
Now we hear that and we say, well, wait, how could they have proclaimed that message? Because if Jesus is here and the disciples are here, wouldn't the kingdom of heaven be here since this is where Jesus is? No, (laughs) because the kingdom of heaven goes with all of God's people wherever they are. The disciples took the kingdom of heaven with them into all the towns and villages where they proclaimed this message. And we here today, not only do we experience the reality of this kingdom where God's will is done, this reign and rule where God's will is done, but we take God's kingdom with us into our homes, into our workplaces, into our families, uh, into our fields, into even into our church, right? And our neighborhoods, right? And they become places where people can experience the kingdom of heaven because we bring it with us. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, thank you that you, uh, that you bless us. Uh, thank you that um, we are Makarios because, um, because of the nearness of your kingdom. Thank you that we don't have to wait to experience the joy and beauty of your kingdom until after we die. We can begin to experience that now. Certainly we'll experience it in a whole new way um, then. But we can begin to experience that reality now. Lord, thank you that you see in us what we don't see in ourselves. Sometimes we do not feel blessed. We do not feel makarios. Sometimes we feel poor in spirit. Sometimes we feel poor. Sometimes we, we mourn. Sometimes we feel meek. Lord, um, remind us that we are blessed because of you. Help us to repent every day, to change the way we think every day because, because of what you have done in us and through us and around us. Help us to live into the reality of your kingdom. And Lord, Thank you that we get to take that reality into the world with us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If you're in Christian leadership, you know the feeling of needing to perform. Our congregations or our ministry supporters uh, want to see that we're getting the job done. And then you add to that the pressure to help people come to faith and be good Christians, and that's a lot of pressure. Uh, I used to beat myself up. Uh, that I wasn't doing a good enough job and I would feel like I was not blessed. And, you know, sometimes I still feel that way. Beating ourselves up for not being good enough is a hard habit to break. Uh, But the Beatitudes remind us that we are loved and we are blessed, not because we've achieved something great for God, but rather because the kingdom of heaven has come near. We are blessed not because we got ourselves close to Jesus, but because Jesus has already come close to us. Uh, My hope for both you and me is that our leadership would not flow from a desire or a need to experience God's blessing, but rather from a deep recognition that we are already blessed, even when we feel poor in spirit, even when we mourn, even when we hunger and thirst for righteousness. And may our ministry, may our leadership, may our our life flow from that reality, from knowing and experiencing the reality of our of our already blessedness. 
I would love to hear how God has been at work in your life. I'm sure there are a lot of stories out there. I'd love to hear how you've experienced God's blessing, how you've experienced that reality, perhaps even in times when the world would have said, you don't look very blessed to me. Uh, and so if you do want to share that story with me, you can feel free to email me at marcus at marcuswatson.com. Uh, again, marcus with a K, M-A-R-K-U-S at marcuswatson.com. And, uh, and yeah, uh, share that story with me. I'd love, to, I'd love to hear it. And if this podcast has in any way been a blessing to you, I would be so grateful for a review on iTunes. That would be a great way to help others discover this podcast and hopefully find some hope and freedom for, uh, for their own life and leadership. Uh, so thanks so much for being uh, here again today. Know that you are already loved and blessed. And I will see you next time here on Spiritual Life and Leadership.